0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 17 of the Lift Free and Die Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And I'm very lucky to have my friend Pete Dupuis on today. It's funny, I'm actually having internet problems, so Pete's actually recording on his end, but it should not we shouldn't notice any difference. My hope is that uh, the data on all this lets us have a good episode. And if you're not familiar with Pete, well, you probably should be. He's the co-founder and VP of Cressy Sports Performance, and he's one of the very few business mentors that you know you'll ever see on my media i'm going to talk a little bit more about that after and he's a very consistent content creator so it's great to have you back pete
1: i appreciate you having me and, and allowing me to host today
0: <laughs> well you also have your own podcast niche which i enjoy you've got to get a few more episodes going but uh, at the same time it's quality it's not like you have to look at this library of 200 episodes and someone can jump right into it and, and get the full effect of uh they're, they've been really good. Your uh, your friend is uh, it Saul Bloom?
1: Yep, Saul. He's my training partner right now. He he relocated from California to Massachusetts for the month of November and potentially December, just because he's lives out in California and Palo Alto, and he he had to basically get away from the wildfires. And he was locked down anyway. And he knew that if he wanted to see family for the holidays, he'd have to come here and quarantine for a couple weeks. So he just said, screw it, I'm coming back to this side of the country. And and I've been the beneficiary of that because he's, well, for starters, he's a he's a fintech influencer that I've never seen anybody blow up at the pace that he is with his audience. And uh, I get 90 minutes, four days a week in the morning to talk shop with him and learn while we get our training sessions in. So he left my office 10 minutes before we started recording. And I, I think the thing about these podcasts, and I, I'd imagine you might agree with me, is that selfishly it's just an opportunity to learn from people who are smarter than me and I definitely take advantage of that and I would say unapologetically it's not it's not something I'm hiding (laughs) and my podcast is a victim of COVID to be honest I had this vision launching launching my podcast that I wanted to prioritize sound quality production value you know I'm recruiting recording on my blue yeti mic here and i I said, I'm going to record in person for my whole first season. That's my priority. I got the nice microphones, microphone stands, all of the proper recording devices, and I was ready to roll. And I said, if there's one way to easily differentiate a podcast these days, it's to have clean audio and have it sound like somebody put a little bit of effort into it. And that first episode, I shit you not, went live on March 7th. And I had right. two in the can when I started and I had six consecutive interviews lined up over the next, say, two months, all in person, a little bit of travel in the Northeast. I was going to be in in Manhattan uh, recording with Syed. I was going to be you know, talking to people face-to-face with my equipment. And my my first episode wasn't even up for six days before we were all locked down and I had to compromise on that. And between being a, homeschooling kindergarten teacher at the time someone who was trying to keep my business alive and working through lockdown all that stuff I just hit the pause button on it and and I I wanted to have an eight episode season and I've since recorded just four total episodes and that's not I'd say necessarily in line with usually me committing to something and publishing but in this case I I make no apologies it is it is temporarily on hold and it is something I aspire to bring back and with some level of consistency. But as you and I were discussing coming into this portion of the recording, business has been shockingly good coming out of quarantine and uh, since mid-June in our case to the point where we're, we're setting records for foot traffic and revenue and cash flow. And when that happens, I'm learning a lot, but I can't find the time to carve out for blogging or podcasting. I can stay consistent on Twitter and Instagram, but that's about the extent of it. And right now we do happen to be open, thankfully. I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but I am, I'm, just, I'm inundated with crazy Sports performance-related obligations as far as keeping wheels in motion there. And so I'd, I'd love to say to you, hey, podcast is back on X date, but it's just not. And so right now I'm in a holding pattern. Well, you've laid the foundation to get
0: it going and you have the network of people when you're ready for it. And it kind of ties into something you and I were talking about just recently outside of this as the book, Seth Godin's The Practice, right? And like I, it's the best book I've read all year uh, and probably one of the best books I've ever read. But it's... It sort of speaks to I think already my mindset that I've had for a while, and maybe that's why it resonates I think when we read books and you read something that conflicts with your philosophy you're like, oh this is garbage, but if something reinforces uh, you know and validates what you're already doing, you tend to like it but it's this whole idea about developing the practice the process of the everyday behavior in this case a lot of its content creation or, or you know fitness brand building work where you're not fixated on an outcome certainly not any sort of finite outcomes by any dates but you just marry yourself to the process and that eventually tends to achieve very good outcomes and if that sounds familiar to any fitness professional that's kind of how fitness progress should be for your clients too right you know it's the whole idea of focusing on behavioral goals on a daily weekly basis versus you know fixating on hey i want to weigh 20 pounds you know in two months the outcomes right you're a lot more in control of your daily behaviors your 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 practice. So, and you said you were going nuts with the highlighter. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that book and that greater concept?
1: Well, I, I agree. I I have really enjoyed that book. I've got about forty pages left. I had a friend, um, my buddy Zach. He was, I think, my second episode of of my podcast. He's in he's in the insurance industry, but he's kind of one of the people who influences me in the the business space. And he reached out and he said, Godin's got a new book that goes live today. You, me, and our friend Danny, she's going to read it. And uh, let's just put a date on the calendar and we're going to do a Zoom call and we're going to talk about our takeaways, our next steps and, and just group think it. And I loved it because it forced me to, one, go out and get it, but two, I had a, I had a target. So next Tuesday morning, we're on, we're on a Zoom call and we're going to go through it. People who influence the way I think about business and they will have consumed it and based on the fact that the group text thread has not stopped since we've been consuming it it's almost like we will have discussed it all before we even get on there because we're sending screenshots we're sharing quotes we're we are collectively enjoying it the way you are i do agree it, it has a little bit to do with confirmation bias like it, it feels good to read things that speak to us we've already kind of come to a conclusion on that if you're a godin or a consumer of golden content, then yeah, that's that's how that's gonna look and feel. It's very consistent with his messaging. But I think that people who read that book might make the mistake of thinking it's purely about content creation. It's purely about about maybe creating, a you know, writing a book, the practice of, of launching a blog or putting on a podcast. Because it's, what's the subtitle? The Art of Shipping Creative Work, something like that? Yep, Shipping Creative Work. Yeah. And so people in immediately default to the creative piece of that. But the reality is the process applies to everything we do in running our business. And I put up a, a little tweet thread recently where I, I recounted a conversation I had with a parent and I realized that the process of business development is one that is not a one-off type deal. And so I had this dad come into my office and we said to him, look, we're trying to, we're trying to continue to serve your specific community of, of high school athletes and the little league baseball community that grows up to be high school athletes in one town, one community that's been very good to us. And we said, we want to do more and we want to host a Zoom event, a, a night with the pros as we call it. And we historically have had these in-person events where we pull together a panel of our athletes, professional athletes who come through the gym, maybe connections with local coaches. Uh, We've had orthopedic surgeons. We have had scouting directors for big league organizations. We've had this variety of people, but we'll call them baseball influencers, I guess you could say. And we do a free event every fall. We say, come on in. We're going to answer questions for athletes and their parents relating to what goes on in the weight room here from an off-season prep standpoint we talk about the college recruiting process, we talk about the difficult decisions surrounding summer baseball or kids specializing in sports or you know, just the things that give parents anxiety. And I put people who have those answers in front of them and we say it doesn't cost a thing. We have on occasion done a $5 donation where we give 100% of it to a charity of a specific cause to register RSVP, things like that. But the point is it doesn't generate any revenue from my business in that moment. And we give away, uh, I might give away a gift certificate of training with us, or we give away signed baseballs. We just, we make it a compelling and fascinating and educational experience for people in the community. And I don't ask for business at any point in it. All I do is deliver. We deliver. So if you're taking the Gary Vaynerchuk methodology, we're just jabbing. Jab, 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 jab. There is no right hook at the end of that event. We just say, hey, we will do this again next year. We hope to see you here. So in 2016, we had over 250 people show up to that and we could, we kind of saw the writing on the wall that there's going to be a lot of momentum for it. So we synced it up with the weekend that we did our fall seminar, our annual fall seminar, and we did it the night after. And so we didn't return all the chair rentals. We paid for an extra day, hundreds of seats. And we just basically were in this mindset, like we're going to host, we are hosts for the next couple of days. And all these people showed up and it was great. I mean, my recollection of it, I couldn't even tell you right now who was on that panel because year over year we're changing and I typically MC the event and feed some softball questions to the panelists and get the the people in the audience kind of comfortable with the idea that they could chime in with questions as well. But it's just it was just another night with the pros event in my mind. Well, I had a dad come into my office earlier this week, like I said, talking to him about building business in his community and he's got two kids who train with us full time. They are in the early high school age, let's say like a, a freshman and a junior maybe. Um, and he said to me, I'm so thrilled that you're going to bring this event online because this event's what put me in this business in the first place. I came to realize that four plus years ago, he was sitting in that audience with two kids who were too young to train with us. His oldest was on the cusp of being the right age for us, but he wasn't quite there yet. And he said, that was the moment I kind of started my, my own personal countdown clock on when I was going to get my kids in here. And then he went radio silent for like two full years. And that's perfectly fine, but he got a taste of what we were doing. And now that guy is going to spend seven, maybe $8,000 with my business this year. And the big moral of this story is, the process of lead generation is not short-sighted. You, you do, in some capacity, have to take the long game. You need to think about laying the groundwork. Somebody commented on, on that thread that I put up saying, saying you plant the seeds, you cultivate the crop, and then you watch it grow. And we, we plant seeds every single fall with this night with the pros event. And it is not a failure if I don't have a full inbox the next day from parents saying, I was there last night, I need to give you money, please sign up my kid. Because a lot of the time, not some of the time, a lot of the time, there are people who say, I really like what they do. I'm not a particularly outspoken or big social media person. And I'm just going to sit on it and let that be in my head. And I'm going to go invest with them when the time is right. Him being a great example. And so for us, there is process applied to building some brand equity in the community. Deliver, deliver, deliver. And it's going to come full circle eventually. And I genuinely believe that to be what Godin is talking about. This isn't just about writing a blog. This is about building an operation. And that's kind of how that book spoke to me. It's what, it's what got my wheels in motion on that content. Something that, you know, I
0: extrapolate from that. And one of my personal philosophies is, you know, it's about having a set of values and an integrity to where you're doing the right thing, even when no one's looking. So that way, you know, your behaviors, how you treat clients, your professional relationship in and about your business is always so automatic that on the times like the trainer on the gym floor. Um, early in my career, I crushed on g- the gym floor walk-up business. I got probably out of a facility where there were on average, or you know, twelve to eighteen trainers. I would get what I estimate to be about ninety percent of the 4 walk-up business. <clears throat> and there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is I was always busy, so busy begets busy. But it was professional engagement with my clients. I wasn't sitting. You know, I wasn't, you know, anything visibly lazy posture. You know, my phone wasn't out, that sort of stuff. Uh, You know, I was the first person to start using a tablet on the floor of my gym. Actually, technically second, there was one guy who briefly did it. But, you know, I've been using a tablet for years now, which looks professional versus the pen and paper stuff. Our friend Chad Lander still loves his pen and paper, which honestly I think works phenomenally. But every little thing you do, you are on display in one way, shape, or form. And I've had people come back to me after years, many, many years, and say, Yeah, I remember you from this old gym, or you know, someone pops up and refers me business because of remembering me and my presence on that gym floor. Right. And yeah, I would be very careful not to if I'm in uniform and let's say I'm in between sessions and I see a friend, well I'm not out sitting down on a piece of equipment talking to my friend where me and my friend fully know that, hey, I'm I'm off duty but everybody else in the gym does not necessarily automatically assume that that's a friend. They would think that's a client that I'm interacting with, right? So, and at a certain point, you can't be just so goddamn paranoid about every little thing you do, but it becomes just instilling these, these behaviors, these attitudes. You know, if you're out in public, just interacting with people like you, you know, I'll let people know what I do if they start asking, but I'm never like, here, take my card. You know, we should talk about training or anything like that. I simply, I'm all about tons of jabs and and almost no hooks in the grand scheme of things. And this is sort of where I want to go, you know, next with this too, because I mentioned, you know, how you're one of the few business mentors that, you know, I'll certainly put on the podcast and I'll feature your stuff. Like Luke, I just had on the last episode. He's like that too. And I mean, how many of us, you know, listening, especially have like all of these, you know, we get that it's the sleazy fitness coaches. We'll start with those guys, the business coaches and they're up in your DMS. They add you to Facebook and you know, all of a sudden, they're talking about the founder. Uh, if anyone knows that joke is a, this minion of like 12 year old looking, You know, business coaches who obviously haven't done a damn thing, they're fun to make fun of. And, uh, you know, they have these aggressive models. And guess what? I'm not going to give business to this, but that's what it is. Like, If I see someone who's like, I help fit pros, blah, 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 I'll actually usually accept the friend request on Facebook just to wait to see how long it takes before I've got a DM that, you know, either goes directly at it or starts to pretend like they're genuinely interested in me before they make a pitch within the first conversation, right? So I've got no time for that sort of crap whatsoever. And with you and your media, I've never seen you ask for a sale. You're constantly putting out consistent quality information, which ties into what we're talking about with the practice. But you're a reputable person in that field. So, you know, I wanted to see why you're so deliberate in that. I think you've already kind of alluded or gone into that direction, but let's take that a little further.
1: So I'm just now starting to appreciate we'll say um farm that crop of <laughs> of kind of capitalizing on what has been years of consistency i have um yeah i've seen kind of waves of content creation for myself over the years i'm i deliberately position myself as a a husband and father first and a gym owner second and because of that my priorities are very much in line with with that and It has resulted in me, honestly, not putting out as much as I would like at some points in my life and and being fine at others. And for example, last year, pre-COVID, and my business was functioning, (laughs) functioning nicely, everything was running well, we'd empowered the right people, things were looking good. And I had an objective of putting out a blog a week for the year of 2019, and I did it. I put out 52 blogs, I put out a newsletter every Friday, I just showed up consistently. And it was great. But on the last day of the year, I said, I am taking at least Q1 off. And I have not published a single blog since. And and nobody's coming at me saying, where'd that go? Because I stayed consistent in other places. I showed up, as we discussed, a little bit with a podcast. And the one thing that I've really committed myself to is consistent content output on Twitter. And so my rule is I publish a business-related tweet or work-related, or maybe a blend of personal and professional on weekdays. Five days a week, I'm going to show up. I'm going to give you something. And assuming it performs at a baseline level a certain way, then I am one of the people, as Dean Somerset called out on Instagram or Twitter the other day, that uses Twitter to create content that just gets screen grabbed and dumped into my Instagram. I I mean, guilty as charged, there is no running from that. You go to my Instagram you look at the grid that I have published, it is nothing but, I mean, hundreds upon hundreds of tweets, screen grab. It's, It can be, uh, I think, obnoxious when you look at the way the industry has kind of trended in that direction. Everybody's dabbling with it. But I, I kind of, maybe I'm delusional, but I look at my own stuff and I say, well, this is less obnoxious because it's who I've been since I don't know, 2016 maybe I've been doing that. It has been the entirety of my brand. So if I went a different angle, people would be like, why did you pivot so dramatically? This looks so different. But I show up five days a week with a tweet that becomes an Instagram post. And I have two very different audiences there it seems. My Instagram audience is probably three to four times the size of my Twitter audience. But Twitter is the testing ground for all things content for me. And I love that because Twitter is harder in my opinion. You, you want engagement on Twitter, you got to earn it. Nobody's double tapping, hitting likes. Instagram's easy. You can put up a post and, and do 500, 1,000 likes here and there and feel good about yourself. But that same post on Twitter might've got 25 likes and two retweets. And, and I have kind of these baseline engagement metrics in my own head that pre-qualify content for Instagram. So if I if it does well on Twitter, I know it's going to kill on Instagram. And, and that's kind of how I think about it. But the long story short here is that I just set a content calendar and I have to check the box. Did I show up on Monday? Yes. All right, cool. Maybe it wasn't my best content, but I kept wheels in motion on feeding the audience what they theoretically want and building out a kind of a personal brand. Um, the way that I said I'm starting to feel like I'm reaping the rewards of that is that People seem to uh, have completely forgotten the fact that I just stopped blogging, which is either uh, great because the content that I'm putting out is sufficient to people feel like I'm still a creator, or terrible in the sense that people didn't care about the blog in the first place. I'll just tell myself it was the former, not the latter. But what's happening is my consulting leads and opportunity and speaking engagement opportunity, things like that have actually skyrocketed this year without publishing the blogs, but the blogs were the foundation of how I established kind of a reputation for something. Um, And everybody's got a different opinion as to if they follow my stuff, who I am, what I do. But the blogs were important back in the day, not so much now. And I'm finding that I can just show up in these short form social media contexts and then elaborate further on things like podcasts, stuff like this, if that makes sense. Totally. And you hit on something important here too,
0: because you're right. Like the, instagram is kind of easier to work within and i've been doing you know at least you know very consistently this year a little bit last year but i I said this year okay i'm gonna make sure i'm posting something every day be consistent because i'm putting together things like you know uh writing published articles t nation now true coach um obviously i've had the podcast for over three years and it's like all right let's let's work on the social media
1: All
0: right i'm back so i think we just had a, a data issue uh let me see i'm gonna stay off video and that way okay. maybe you can hear me right so guys i yep. apologize for the the little blip there again making sure that we're able to do this episode so uh i'm sure i was cut off at some point where i was talking about doing uh you know instagram stuff so i i said okay i'm gonna be consistent on here it's driven growth. But I think, and Jordan Syed talks a lot about this. By the way, anybody, <clears throat> you know, go go to Pete's podcast niche and listen to his episode with Jordan Syed. It is really that good. Jordan's fantastic on this. But Jordan's big on, you know, doing the long-form content, building, the, you know, your career around that. You know, you have this very successful and noteworthy business. You've written a lot of articles. So you have that backing. You need more than just Instagram. You need more than just social media. Social media is micro blogging. I actually think it's a great place for a lot of people to start, but I don't think you can just stay there exclusively in that space. I think you need something more. And what I found this year is while the social media stuff has grown and people have been sharing it, it's been validated by a few things. It's been validated by the fact that, okay, you are writing for bigger recognized published uh, you know, websites. Okay. You have a podcast and, you have relationships with other respected people in the industry who are sharing your work. So I think you need more than just the social media, but I also think it could be a really big mistake not to embrace what social media can offer you to then turn around and reach more people to share your bigger content with those people.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) truth be told, I would be off social media entirely if my personal brand and earning potential wasn't so dependent on it. Uh, this most recent election season and um, The dynamics of coronavirus have soured me on (laughs) the world of social media But I'm also not so delusional to think that it isn't an important piece of my ability to earn a living So I press forward and I use it and I have a little bit more of a personal filter for how I consume but uh, from a creation standpoint I'm just as consistent now as I ever was. And, and I know it's valuable and I know that no matter what we do, we're going to find ways to frustrate each other on the internet, I guess. But, uh, I, I would love to abandon every bit of it and go back to like an old school flip phone. I mean, I've had, I remember a couple of years back, Roger Lawson had not yet relocated to, um, Manhattan to work for Mark Fisher fitness and Roger was one of my oldest interns and he used to come in to train with us in the mornings and he'd show up with a flip phone. We're talking like 2015, 2016, not not way way back. I mean, iPhones were <laughs> probably into like their 6th or 7th iteration or something at that point point. and Roger's got this old school Motorola flip phone and this outrageously overwhelming feeling of je- jealousy <laughs> just like poured over me and has since. I think of Roger's flip phone everyday since and think I oh, God I'd love to go back to that but i've I've painted myself into a social media corner to an extent, and I'm not quite ready to abandon it just yet <laughs> uh, I don't know like there's elements of it I love, but
0: as I you know get older spend more time around it. I more readily recognize where you have a day where oh you've been on there a bit too much you know you get a little bit too much of that dopamine stuff people don't like talking about it or admitting it but there'll be days where I just you get so sucked into it that it makes it very difficult to you know get the parasympathetic nervous system ramp back up again and focus on being productive right you you know, end up kind of being a little wired and you have a little trouble sleeping that night that's actually happened to me right so. I think you have to be very aware and alert to that stuff and be on guard against it. Some of the stuff that I've done, um, and I, I unapologetically unfollow you know, Facebook friends who tend to deal in negativity, hysteria. I mean, they may even be, you know, quote fact-based or evidence-based in a sense, but, you know, they're still coming from some sort of fairly extreme point of view. And I realize like this is all they're putting out in the world. This stuff causes me, you know, discomfort and, and distraction, irritation. And I may like the person in, in general, right. You know, Hey, I, I rarely delete people from social media, but it's like, you know, I don't want to be subject to this stuff every day, or I love this news for 30 days stuff. Like, you know, obviously with the U S election cycle, I'm Canadian, you know, and there are going to be people offended by the fact that, you know, I can decide to tune this out because you know, it's their narrative to say that, no, this affects everybody. You know, that's selfish. Well, guess what? I, I'm sorry. None of us are entitled or, obligated to drown in this stuff on t- a 24 hour news media cycle. Right. Like, I, I, I value being informed about what's going on in the world, but you know, it's like the person who spends all their waking free time in front of either CNN or, or Fox news. That's not a very healthy way to go about your life and you're missing out on a lot of things. And at the end of the day, you know, I am sorry, but we have very little individual control over these outcomes. And I'm I'm all about being a really good person to the people in my world that I can directly affect. But I also want to make sure that you know I'm putting myself in a in a career earnings and influence position that grows over time to where I can actually positively affect a lot of people's lives. And I and I can positively affect people's lives with helping them with their their, their fitness careers. I don't do any business mentorship, nor am I interested in that field. I I send people to kind of follow you and Luke and a few other people for that. But instead. You know, I want to make people's lives healthier. I want to give them the tools to, you know, if they want to lose weight or get stronger or, you know, have better, you know, physical and mental well-being through training. That's the stuff I'm interested in. That's where I can make the world a better place. And I, in order to be able to do that, I have to guard my own sanity and my own emotional wellness. And we can and should mercilessly choose to unfollow the people that make us unhappy, the people who perpetuate, you know, negative hysteria, things that just overwhelm us. And, and social media is an is a absolute cesspool of that sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah. I love the mute button. I'm definitely a, a big advocate of the, the pause for 30 days approach on a lot of people. Many people got that treatment in my accounts recently. And I don't actively <laughs> discuss politics very much, much on nope. social. Neither do I. But that, that's misleading in the sense that outside of social, I feel like all I've discussed for the last several months is politics it is a never-ending dialogue it's a dialogue in my home it's a dialogue in the offices here it's a debate that we have as a staff as to how much we want to tolerate or facilitate aggressive discussion in the weight room how much we want to allow the most polarizing uh, people who live on either end of the extreme to control the narrative in the warm-up area because it happens like we we had a staff meeting two weeks ago where we discussed what our our protocol is for managing uh, disruptive dialogue. How do we want, one, are we gonna shut down conversation? No, we we concluded as a group that we weren't. But if we're going to let these kind of difficult, polarizing, aggressive discussions happen in our weight room, do we wanna collectively agree that we're gonna nudge those people into another area to have their constructive conversation and we we quickly learned that people were more interested in being seen as being disruptive than actually having the conversation <laughs> because <laughs> when you when you say, "Hey, uh, the athlete lounge is just over there it 's a 15 step walk for you. We have comfortable couches we've got a coffee table there there 's a fridge or a microwave if you want to heat up your food. go sit over there and have this conversation please we 're going to ask that you take it out of the warm up area. Suddenly, no one wants to talk about it anymore." They just wanted to be the guy who who had the really confrontational take, and make sure that they could argue about whether we're going to build a wall or we're going to we're going to you know replace the existing uh, government. Uh, but basically, we said we'll never we will never censor discussion in the space, but we will redirect where it takes place and it was pretty easy to identify the people who actually wanted to have a philosophical discussion than the people who wanted to have an argument. And uh, it was a good solution. I would encourage all gym owners, if you're still dealing with this dynamic, which I'm sure it's kind of tapering a little bit outside of arguing about COVID, um, identify a spot where those conversations can happen between clients out of the general line of sight and kind of earshot range of everybody else. And you'll realize their intentions are really just to be seen, not heard. Mm.
0: I I think that goes into social media as well. I know that I've definitely heard positive feedback with my following that, you know, I, I don't touch politics or, or social issues on my social media, right? You know, occasionally that stuff will, like politics I try to stay off of, and nothing more than what you and I have just discussed, right? Nothing in terms of taking sides on anything, uh, just the philosophical or or the 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 more polarizing social issues of our times, but on social media. And I've gotten the feedback that people appreciate that because, Oftentimes they're looking for a break from it, right? You know, their friends on Facebook, it's it's constant, it's nonstop, the news media, it's constant, it's nonstop. And Instagram, I think, tends to be a place, unlike Twitter, where people go for lighter engagement, they go for fun, they want to see positive stuff. And they're in, in my world, they're seeking you know fitness and nutrition, right? And if their go-to fitness and nutrition person is constantly going off course into a good example, and I mean I, in all honesty, I'm very pro-vaccine, right? Like straight up, you know, when there's a coronavirus vaccine, I'll get one. You know, someone who's listening might be like, well, you know, I would never get that cool. Like I actually respect, I respect that. You know, like I, I get where you're coming from. But for me, discussing or blasting people about vaccines, and vaxxers on social media is a hard no. And I see some people I love on our social media in our industry who've taken that mantle and they are constantly on that. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, That's that's not your scope, and that's not your mission. And I think you're really off course from doing the things that will actually help enhance your brand and your career. And those people who are looking to you for your your advice, you know, they're going to get tired of that, especially if they don't necessarily agree with you. And then you're kind of left with just an echo chamber of the people that do agree with you, right? So, I, I, I would caution anyone who's up and coming. I think if you're really established and big name, and you decide you want to take those things on, I guess you can get away with that, right? Like a James fell, you know, he's out of the space where he needs to worry about, you know, being neutral on those things. But for a lot of the trainers who are really just trying to emerge and establish themselves, you know, I think stay the fuck away from that stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think James fell would be so off brand if he did go neutral. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's what I value. Even if I disagree with what he's publishing, I really (laughs) appreciate how aggressively he takes a side and, and, there are very few people who I, I value their kind of condescending, patronizing tone, but for him I find it to be hysterical, even if I'm on the other side of the narrative. Just because I, I value somebody who's so consistent in their approach and style. He has figured out what his his strategy is and he stays on brand all the time. And I know how hard that is. So I admire the consistency and the confrontational messaging. <laughs>
0: And I like James. You know, I've sat down and had a, you know, a beer or a one-on-one conversation with him, you know, probably three or four times in the grand scheme of things. He found me at an airport, I think it was in Minnesota, and I was just dead tired coming from the Kansas City Fitness Summit. He snuck up behind me and kind of like jumped me in a playful way, and I'm a lot bigger than James is. And in my state, I mean, I could have turned around and hit someone. I was just so, just, we were hungover from the night before and n- no sleep and flying back to Edmonton. But anyway, so, uh, you know, he's a really fun guy to to sit down with. And he's actually kind of, he's quite different. He's a bit more of a shock jock on on public, publicly, his public persona. And he's a little bit more laid back when it comes to actually sitting down and talking to him. But yeah, it kind of goes to the the greater point. And I don't want to go on too much about it, but I I guess I'll pull you back to this, you know, again, the philosophy of, you know, the practice and endlessly giving, you know, valuable free information, Uh, you know, and you mentioned the long game very early in this episode. And... We see so many people who just are determined to take shortcuts for the infant success. And it's sort of a question is why trainers are still lured into that aggressive, short sighted, you know, pattern of schemes and tactics, any insight into
1: that? Ooh, um, I think that (laughs) I, I don't want to lament social media so much. Um, I think that it's very easy to fall in love with the size of other people's audience and and believe it to be um, both attainable and relatively quick without appreciating the the front end of what went into it. Like Jordan being a great example. Sure, it's pretty exciting that he's, uh, I don't even know, three quarters of a million audience members on Instagram or something. Yep. But nobody bothers to scroll all the way to the bottom of that Instagram feed and see how many people hit the like button or commented on the first handful of posts. And, and everybody wants to know what the secret is and they don't realize that the secret's right there. It's in the origin. It's in the consistency and just just showing up and trusting yourself. And I, I am not immune to um, self-doubt or imposter syndrome or things like that. I definitely second guess almost everything I publish to an extent, but I, I just push forward with it. And I think that a lot of us, make the mistake of um, taking the the last post's performance too seriously and not looking at the whole picture. You know, it, it's one bad blog post that doesn't, not bad, one bad engagement blog post that all of a sudden tells you I'm shitty at blogging. And, and next thing you know, you reevaluate your whole approach instead of taking a look at the bigger picture. And, and that applies to how we run the gym too. I mean, we could have, for example, we have gotten into a habit of of bundling our services seasonally for our athletes because a lot of them are here, like they're either here for just the summer or they're professional baseball players who are here just October to February. And historically, we'd say this is what it costs per month, pay us every time you get a program. But we started realizing that we could – we could get them to commit to a bigger investment in kind of complimentary services like pitching instruction or nutrition guidance, things like that, by bundling it, saying you have high aspirations, you intend to show up and you know, use all this stuff, you, you come into this thinking I'm gonna do a lesson a week, I'm gonna show up for four training sessions, I'm gonna do this, that, and the other. So we say, great, we'll give you a little bit of a volume discount if you buy it, and they do. And what happens is, we get these massive performing early months. Like we you know, we sign up our, we're about to do a winter program for our college guys that's gonna run from Thanksgiving into mid January because most of them aren't going back to campus if they were on campus at all. And it's inflating our November number. And it feels great. We're like, God, oh, look at how great we're doing. We are, We are just on this trajectory that's unbelievable. But then we're gonna get into December and none of those guys are gonna make a payment. And we're going to feel bad for ourselves. Oh, December's not looking as good as it did last year when in reality, November was 70% better than it was the year before. And I think that happens in, in the social media and content creation game too. We get a big win. We, we decide to attribute it to just how great we are and how smart we are, but we don't realize that it's going to cost us a little bit in the next month or the next post or the next quarter, whatever it is. And we, we fail to look at the total picture the last 90 days, the last 10 posts, the last six months, and understanding that these, these posts or weeks or months of output, they're arbitrary numbers. We're just, they, they complement a calendar. But it's so easy to get tied up in saying like, these 30 days weren't as good as I thought. But then you look at the last six months and you realize, wow, we're outperforming anything we've ever done in the history of this business. Well, which is a better indicator of who you are? And we we take a very short-sighted approach to a much longer or as Simon Sinek would call it an infinite game. And I'm just as bad as anyone else about that. You know, I put up a, I put up a tweet that doesn't get a lot of engagement that I thought it would. I I kick myself about it. And I, I wonder like, ah, did I lose my touch? (laughs) And and I think the whole industry kind of has that mindset coming in. They're disregarding the practice. All they're concerned with is the outcome and it, it just sets you up for disappointment. And so I have to remind myself every day, like, you, you know what you're doing, trust the system, the process has been very fruitful to date. Uh, a couple bad posts from an engagement perspective in a row are not indicative of who you are as a person. <laughs> I mean, I'm just as, just as susceptible to that as anybody else is. And
0: I've had a similar experience with the social media stuff but it, it and with the business side you know, doing this 10 years now, you've been in the business longer than me. I've come to trust that, you know, even if you have a, a period of time where it feels just a little bit slower, the the long game of, you know, doing the process all the time, we'll, we'll see referrals come to you. You know, people will reach out, old clients will return. So businesses tended to be pretty steady. When we came out of the lockdowns, you know, I was, I sort of mentally earmarked. I said, okay, I'm, I'm prepared to deal with 75% of my re- normal revenue for the rest of this year. you know, I thought, hey, things might be a bit grim. Nope, it jumped right back to 100%. I had old clients returning, people wanting to get fit, and it's basically carried, it's entirely carried through the rest of this year. So it's been a really good year on that front. And then recently, I, and I do suspect in part, it was Instagram fucking with some shit, changing some algorithm stuff. I noticed that the last few, two weeks or so, my social media growth had slowed a bit. I've been tracking it all year. It's actually been kind of a fun process to watch. And I've been consistent in posting every day. And like you, you have the occasional post that doesn't perform very well. doesn't get shared too well. And you kind of second guess yourself like, oh, shit, you know, uh, it's dried up. And so I just crept over the 9,000 mark. And then a couple days in a row, I had really widely shared and engaged posts. So it's like, oh, okay. It, it comes down to still, you know, the process, but always m- making sure you're getting better and better at it, refining the skills, um, your ability to write and and form thoughts that engage people. And, and that's the that's the attitude I take. I'm still in control of a lot of it. Even if Instagram starts fucking around with the algorithm and makes it harder and they're pushing reels, that means I have to be just that much better at forming a thought and making sure that people want to share and engage with it. And, you know, it's I've had a little bit of a burst and I've been very clear about my, me- my mission to reach 10,000 followers by Christmas. And right now I'm comfortably on track to do that. And yeah, that's an outcome, but I've been focused entirely on the process daily so that way I can make that outcome a reality.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I I also follow the audience. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it, but I would say for the last three years, I have an alarm that goes off at 9 a.m. every Saturday on my phone. And it's to remind me to screenshot our audience size for the Cressy Sports Performance Instagram and my personal one, because I thought to myself, well, this is very easy to click that button and screenshot. And if I have just a habit of it, a simple reminder, it costs me 15 seconds of my week and I don't even know what I'll do with it. But I have hundreds of screenshots of this that someday I might be able to actually map and look at and probably line it up with my content output and actually have a sample size. That's going to show me, you know, you publish this many times per week. You see this much audience growth based on a sample size of multiple years of this. Maybe I'll do something with it. Maybe I won't. But it all sits in my Google Images in the crowd, and it's not difficult. And so, I basically will just maybe use it, maybe not. But it's it's a habit that I've fallen into, and I don't think it's a bad thing to have arbitrary metrics like that. They can't be the whole reason you do it, though. I mean, oh. I can't I can't hang up my cleats for <laughs> my metaphorical social media cleats next weekend if I see negative audience growth despite publishing and. If it happens, it it can't be the singular reason why I quit on this. It's really just something that someday I might look at a little closer, and I can't go back in time and capture that, so why not make a habit of it? It's a weird habit, but I do it. My wife asks me all the time when that alarm goes off on Saturday, she's like, oh great, time for useless screenshots. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> look, it's not costing any of us any time or energy, really.
0: <laughs> I, I think it comes back to remembering why ultimately social media existed in its first place. Yes, we know it's been kind of turned into this monster, but, you know, it's still an opportunity to be social. So I try, I try to be very engaged with, uh, you know, the people who are following my Instagram. I, and anyone who is a listener, you know, please, guys, like, shoot me a message. If you never talk to me, I want you guys to shoot me a message. Just say hi, right? If you are a listener who isn't following me, you know, follow. You know, come and find me on Instagram. Engage with me there. You know, I'm not just a voice in your head listening to the podcast each week. And I love those engagements and that to me is very fulfilling and watching the audience grow. Well, okay. It's a vanity metric in a lot of people's eyes. And I think it's very easy to say, well, Oh, I'm struggling to grow my social media. Therefore it's stupid. You know, the proverbial sour grapes thing. Well, you know, I've been spending this year, not just doing it, but documenting it and putting it on display. And that's a very deliberate thing because a lot of my following are very interested in also growing their social media, increasing their reach, starting to write, you know, getting involved in a a lot of people I know have started podcasts. And yes, sometimes it feels like everybody has one, but you know what? Not everybody who is, you know, is following Jordan Syatt. Not everybody is following the, you know, some of the bigger names we've been throwing around, but your audience, you may be the absolute go-to person that someone reveres. And it's another part of this whole thing about the practice and the process too, is if you're if you're afraid, the imposter syndrome you mentioned, if you're afraid to share your work, you're denying someone who really likes what you're doing the opportunity to experience more of it. And, and that's a that's a terrible mistake to make. If you've got great ideas, and you notice that you know someone else that you're following is saying a lot of similar things and they're getting engagement and traction, yeah, you got a smaller audience that's gonna get less engagement, but the engagement you get is worth it. Even if it's just one person who continuously is really in love with the stuff you're doing, and that person shares it, we know it's not just one person, then it is totally worthwhile. And turn around and engage with that person and let that person know that you really appreciate the fact that they're there. And that's a pretty cool feeling. And that's one of the biggest rewards I get from this.
1: Yeah, I think I, I like that Godin said in that book, something along the lines of content creation is an act of generosity. And if you can shift your mindset and appreciate it that way, it becomes much easier to do. The other thing to, to build off of what you just said is that I'm a believer in this concept of the thousand true fans. Uh, I can't remember who it is, who, who initially pitched it. I know I encountered it through Tim Ferriss who was sharing someone else's work at that time. Um, and I, I'm actually sharing an article in my newsletter this week, making the contention that a hundred true fans is a viable option. I think it's from the, the McKinsey blog and those fans, I know who they are. I know who the people who hit the like button and the comment almost unconditionally, regardless of what I put up, I recognize their usernames. I know those faces. I see them fill up my inbox when I do a Q&A on Instagram. And those are the people that I cannot afford to not respond to because someday I will write hook. There's there is going to be a moment where I'm going to say, hey, Andrew, I, I wrote this book. I would really like it if you would read it. <laughs> Please go buy it. And the the people who are going to do that are going to be those thousand true fans. Well, and you know that I am one of those people, you know that for a fact, I
0: keep bringing you back to my podcast. Uh, And if, and when you do write a book, you know, I'll be reading it and you know, you'll be on the podcast to talk about it and I will be sharing it around with my audience, which is growing. Right. So that's an important thing to recognize.
1: But you can't ever really stop feeding that, that population. They've, they've earned the right to keep consuming your stuff. Whether you think it's exceptional or not, they're craving it. And uh, it's, it's a little, um, not discouraging, but it's tough because not everybody is designed to engage on social media. I think that for every, every true fan you have in that context, the ones who are quick to hit the like button and engage with you, there's probably another one or two just like them who just doesn't have the same engagement habits. But they feel the same way about your material and and not knowing who those people are is a tragedy because it it, there are a lot of people who who created or had the capacity to create great stuff who have quit because they thought no one was listening and the reality is there there are plenty of people listening who just it's not in their nature to scream from the rooftops how much they like your stuff and, and I'm a huge hypocrite on this front. I don't do enough of going out and publicly celebrating people whose stuff I like. I consume, consume, consume selfishly, but then I don't say like, Hey, this stuff's awesome. Please go consume more of it. I love it. And I have to make a conscious effort to be better about that because I cannot sit here and lament the people who, who read my stuff like it and don't say anything when I'm practicing the exact same habit elsewhere. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's important that we celebrate the people who, who inspire us, I guess I'd say. I, I want to add to something there because something I've noticed over the years, and this has happened
0: a lot to me is I used to use Facebook as a, a more of a microblogging thing. And then I started writing formal articles. So now I'm way more active on Instagram, but I have had numerous people I know in, you know, personally, or if I return to Newfoundland, you know, where I, where I grew up, and someone who I don't know if they've ever clicked like or commented on a post, tell me how much they love what I'm doing. And I, I've gotten that a lot. So just recently, and I am very, very rare now, like I used to be more so, to criticize behaviors in the industry. But every once in a while, I see something just that I think is garbage. And there was a, a guy who, you know, I've never met him. Yeah, he's some click funnels, you know, business type of guy. Added me to social media immediately he's in my dms trying to promote what he's doing i'm like no thanks man i'm not interested then he's like hey i see you have a podcast i'd make a really great guest i have a great story and just launches right into it i'm like listen man i'm really sorry but you know i usually take my time to know someone personally or their professional reputation for a really long time before i'd even consider having someone on a podcast anyway so fine and i've gotten better at politely but firmly saying no to that stuff so anyway more recently up goes this post saying oh i've deleted hundred and fifty some odd friends who weren't engaged if you want to stick around you know please comment or or put a meme in this post i'm going to delete 200 more tomorrow and i saw this and i even commented i said this is garbage you know this is actually threatening people you know to stay around i said i'm going to make this easy for you and i deleted this guy right so anyway and i put up a post about you know my thoughts on this and i thought this is crap you know don't get caught into this you know, this this trickery, this short-term tactic to generate some engagement, when in fact, what you should be doing is working on the quality of the things that you're posting so that we earn the engagement versus threatening people. And then as it turns out, uh, I get the screenshots of another guy that I do know in person who had done the same thing. I never saw it. So it seems to be something that the, fit, you know, the fitness business mastermind crew are starting to try as a tactic. So people thought I was talking about the second guy who I know personally. And I'm like, Well, no, I wasn't talking about him, but at the same time, if that shoe fits, you can lace that bitch up and wear it as far as I'm (laughs) concerned, (laughs) right? Uh, And I just think that's that's a a lazy, short-sighted tactic. But going back to it, yeah, there are going to be a ton of people who may never comment or, or like or engage and they're quietly watching and they like what you're doing. But I've also had a lot of those people reach out to me and say, hey, I want to come train with you. Like that's happened a lot. So don't be so short-sighted as to clear out followers who aren't engaging with you or to stop because you're exactly right. There are people who are quietly watching and really like what you're doing. They just don't think the way that you and I do in terms of making sure that we show that appreciation or even you said you, you don't even, you know, do enough. I try to, but there's a lot of stuff that a lot of people I like are putting out there that I just can't keep up with at all. Right. I can't read everybody's articles. I'm, I'm too busy to, to scroll social
1: media, to see all this stuff. And I genuinely care about a lot of these people. Yeah. I'm so with you on that. And I, I have the same problems with the business gurus that you do. I'd say once a week I get a message from somebody saying, Hey, I saw you use the hashtag gym owner. You know, I, I really think I could, I could help you scale your brick and mortar gym. Um, I, I would love to share some insights on how we can put some more bodies in your gym or how you can find a niche. And I think to myself, like, I thought I put what I do in my profile. I thought it mentioned our operation in my profile and I come to realize that they're just spamming on, on hashtag searches. They didn't, they don't even search. I mean, I might get a, a business guru with 800 followers telling me how he can scale my Instagram audience for my gym. And I, I don't even know. I think we've got like 80,000 followers on our company Instagram account. And so right. I don't engage with them just because I don't know. I guess I should cause I'd love to see what their angle is going to be when I, I say, you know, how do you take me from 80 to 100,000 followers in Q1? My gym really needs it <laughs> to hear what the angle is there outside of buying them. Yeah, and, and two things there. One is, yeah, I have a little bit of fun with them
0: sometimes too, but two, um, and I can't remember what book this came out of. I feel like it's from Cal Newport's. Actually, I know it's Cal Newport, uh, in deep, probably Deep Work, where if something in your inbox doesn't pique your interest or hasn't earned a response from you, you're they're not entitled to a response. So ignore it. Do not feel any obligation to respond and even politely say no. You don't have to. Just ignore it, delete it, move on, stay on course because it's a waste of your time. All right, I'm out of time, so I want to make sure people know where to find you to consume all your tweets and
1: your Instagram stuff and your blog. Username's the same on both. It's it's at Pete underscore Dupuy. And I know that my uh, French-Canadian last name isn't particularly easy to spell, doesn't spell, uh, phonetically is a lot different from how it is. That's D-U-P-U-I-S. And uh, if you like that stuff, I think you might like my uh, weekly newsletter. And you go to any blog on my website, p 2 it's going to, just like everyone else's, spam you with a request to sign up for my newsletter. And every Friday in perpetuity, I'm going to show up with four business articles in your inbox, tell you, what I'm reading, what I thought about it, how it's influencing the way we're doing things here at CSP. And uh, it's been a really good exercise in content consumption, being obligated to to just read, read, read every single week so that I have stuff for people. That's been a big uh, tipping point for me as far as having insights to share. The more I consume, the more I feel I can churn out well, it's it's inspiration for a lot of your ideas which i
0: know you've talked about before and it also speaks to the fact that it's consistent process practice that we we've made this entire episode about so guys and, and i'm on pete's email list so you know I, I vouch for it you know please go and check out everything he's doing and i recently just set up my own email list too It's something that I've, I've been procrastinating on for a long time if anyone is interested in developing one i hired a good friend of mine named tara Arnt. And uh, she's great at it, so I can't recommend her enough. Shoot me a message, I'll, I'll connect you with her. And uh, you know, also go on to my website, andrewcoatsfitness.com and sign up for my email list where I'm sharing anytime I have an article published on True Coach or C Nation. Or if I'm appearing on podcasts, uh, I'll be sharing that stuff with you guys, not spamming it out, just uh, giving you guys the stuff that I'm doing. And I'd love to connect with you on there too. So uh, yeah, follow me on social media, uh, on Instagram is where I am, Andrew Codes Fitness. And thanks for once again, tuning in. Thanks, Pete. I really appreciate your time. Go crush your day. And, uh, I look forward to, I'll, I'll have you back as al- as I always do.
1: It's a blast as always. Maybe I should go write that book. So I have a reason to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Andrew, talk soon.